Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. All right, let's uh, pray. Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day. We thank you for uh, gathering us together, your covenant people, to hear from you, to study your word, to be reminded of your glory and your greatness, to be reminded of the uh, perfect righteousness and the glorious work of your Son, and Father, the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you would work in us this day, that we would, that your, your word would reveal to us who we are in Christ and our sins, that it would rebuke us, that it would encourage us, that it would strengthen us, Father, to uh, live in a manner worthy of our Savior, Jesus. And so give us illumination by your Spirit, give us understanding, give us um, Give us focus and strength, and may you be honored and glorified in every one of our thoughts and meditations. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we're coming to, this is going to be the last lesson in the Christian Rigor series that I discovered that this week. It seems like this is an appropriate place to stop, but uh, I we could go on to many other topics in this series and may come back to it at some point. But um, today the topic is, or the verb, or the one word summary is die. Die. So that seems an appropriate place to end the Christian rigor class. <laughs> um, some opening questions. Their they're scripture Scripture talks about dying in more than one sense. Of course, there is death, there is the stopping of the beating of the heart and the departure of the soul from the body, that final death that we all face, whether we like to think about it or not, um, all will die, and all will die because of the death that Adam introduced into this world. But there's also dying to do during our life, right? There's, a, there's deaths to undergo, there's dying to do, there's daily dying. And that's a strange phrase, isn't it, that the Apostle Paul uses, I die daily. There's a death that we all are undergoing. And it's a far cry from the sort of, you know, um, best life now sort of message that you hear. Scripture says, die daily. And it says, be crucified, right? And it says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. There's, there's death to undergo in this life. There's, um, so... So let's start here with um, Luke uh, 9, at verse 23, uh, Jesus says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And of course... It goes on right from that to several of the apostles seeing the kingdom of God in Jesus' transfiguration and that amazing revealing of the, the glory of Christ, the divinity of Christ um, set before their eyes. But that statement that, that um, if you wish to save your life, you will lose it. And we are to take up our cross daily. Other verses along these lines. John 12, 25. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. And that makes all the psychologists in the world go crazy. Hate your life. Right? Hate it. Hates the fallenness of this world. Hate the fact that your flesh is always antagonizing your spirit, right? That there's warfare. Hate the fact that there's warfare remaining because sin still dwells in us. We are not perfectly sanctified. We are certainly not glorified. And so there is um, a fight, and that fight really needs to be to the death. Something has to die. Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Of course, he's, he's speaking there of the ultimate, the, the final death when, um, when we depart this world and go before the Lord. So what things are we to die to in this life? What is the daily death that, we're, that we face? Die to sin. Okay, that's one of them. Yeah, let's look at some verses on that. Um, Romans 6 really is vamping on this topic of dying to sin. And so there are many verses we could pull out of Romans chapter 6. And of course, what is the Apostle Paul battling in Romans 6? What's the problem? Sin doesn't matter because sin has been paid for. Easy believism, yeah. Um, even more than that, that sin should, you know, with sin, grace can abound, right? So the more sin there is, the more that grace abounds to cover that sin, right? And so um, the, the objections to what Paul is preaching in Romans 5 he anticipates and brings up in 6, 
what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Right? Continue in sin because then we can say God forgives all of those sins. Right? And the more I sin, the more He forgives and the more glory He gets because He's covering over all those sins. And the response to that question is, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So when you're regenerated, you begin to die to sin, right? The flesh is wounded and it begins to die. And so that's what he goes on to describe. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Newness of life, resurrection life, not life enslaved to the flesh, but life enslaved to God. Not life enslaved to unrighteousness, but life enslaved to righteousness. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, is he talking about natural death there? No, he's talking about the death that comes by being united to Christ, right? Being united to him in his death, and um, so in, in that death, we are freed from sin. Now, if we who have died with Christ, we believe that we shall all... Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so sin is dead, right? The Christian dies to sin. Now, of course, Romans chapter 7 goes on to talk about the battle, right? The conflict. It's like, why, if I'm dead to sin, why do I continue to sin? Right? Well, there's remaining imperfection. There's remaining indwelling sin. Right? That's the doctrine of indwelling sin. And so the spirit wages war against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. Right? And there's that battle going on. But fundamentally, if we are united to Christ, 
we are to consider ourselves to be dead to sin. It's a mind-boggling concept, right? Dead to sin. It no longer reigns over you, right? You no longer have to obey sin. Before, before Christ, you had to obey your flesh. You had to obey every sinful desire that came along. You had no power against it. The old self dies that was just in bondage to sin, and the new self comes that's united to Christ, and suddenly there's actual resistance. You are, sin is dead to you, right? It no longer masters you, even though from time to time, every day, you sin, right? And you sin and you repent and you mature and you grow. And the promise is that you'll be conformed to Christ. That you will become Christ-like. That you will grow in grace. Before, before regeneration, there was no hope of that. You were just in bondage to your sin. You had a cruel master that just kept you down all the time. And so death, dying to sin is the dying we do in this life. And of course, there are all kinds of exhortations in here. Um, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The goal now is to present your bodies as instruments of, of obedience of glory to God, of, uh, of his, you know, of, of the demonstration of his power in you. Right. Other passages that mention being dead to sin. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. So Jesus on the cross took our sins and atoned for us so that we might be set, you know, we might die to sin. That the power of sin might lose its, its hold on us. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Okay, and then Colossians 3 The Apostle Paul, again, says the same thing. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, this is Colossians 3, 5, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also once walked when you were living in them, right? When you were in bondage to them, when that's all you knew, was your sin. That's all you could do. Everything was sin after sin. But now you also put them aside. So simple, right? Just put those sins aside. Just put them on the shelf and walk away. Put them aside because you're dead to the power of sin. And yet your flesh rears its ugly head at times and and entices you. But now you also put them aside 
And then there's this long list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Right, so it doesn't matter where you grew up. Justification hits all kinds of people. That justifying blood of Christ that makes dead alive and then makes those who are alive dead. Right? So you're dead in your sins, you come alive in Christ. You used to be alive to your sins, now you're dead to your sins and alive in Christ. And, and notice, notice that in Romans 6, that it says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. An exhortation there. It's like you have to remind yourself. No, 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 you don't, you don't have flesh, be quiet. Right? No temptation, be quiet. You have to, you have to, as Lloyd-Jones said from our reading Friday night, you have to take yourself in hand. And you have to say, no, 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 uh, flesh, what you're saying to me, that there's going to be good and pleasure in this, is actually a lie of the devil. And what is true is that I'm dead to sin. Consider yourselves as dead to sin. And so that's how to battle temptation, right? The, you, you don't battle temptation by... by stopping our inner dialogue and just hoping that God acts without us engaging him at all. Right? Being dead to sin, being dead to sin uh, doesn't mean you don't have to be active in fighting against it. Right? That's how you're dead to sin. You can actually tell it no, but you have to tell it. You have to tell the flesh no. You have to tell your temptations. You're selling me a lie. It's not going to be satisfying if I fly off the handle here and lose self-control. Right? It's, it's not. And so you have to consider yourselves dead to sin. If you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you will find that you can't ever preach to yourself. You can't even preach to yourself. You just don't. You just give in to every one of your impulses. Right? With the first thing that comes to mind, the first feeling you have, the, you're just going to do what you're going to do. But if Christ is in you, ah, there's some strength, there's some fight, there's some, sin has lost its power because, because we're dead to sin. That's a happy thing, right? That's a happy thing unless you love your sin and you don't know Jesus. And then dying to sin seems like the worst kind of death, right? No more romantic poetry, you know, reveling in the things of this world. <laughs> and so you have to consider yourselves to be dead to sin. 
I mean, at one and the same time, you go to God in prayer and you say, God, you know, you, you thank him for what he's done, the death of the old man, the old self, right? And the coming of the new man and the strength that he supplies and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all these incredible gifts. And then in the next breath, you say, and, and, and God, um, help me now to fight. Right? I'm dead to sin, thank you, Lord. But boy, the flesh... Now help me to fight. Help. Help me to fight. But fundamentally, you have been set free from the reign of sin. It afflicts you. There are skirmishes between the flesh and the spirit. It afflicts you. But you have been set free from the reign and the power of sin. That's, that's good news. That's good news. But when you sin, it will be very depressing to you when you go after your flesh. It should be really depressing because you've been set free from that. And there you are, you know, like a dog returning to its vomit. That's why we feel, and that's why those who have the Spirit grieve when they sin. It seems like such an incredible betrayal and, and just a a setting aside of all the incredible gifts that God has given to his children. The spurning of these things. And so, um, when we do sin, we repent. And that shows us again the deadness of sin to us. Now, we're so dead to sin. We're dead to sin, which means that sin is lost. Sin is dead. It doesn't have power, right? What other things are we dead to? The scriptures say. Dead to the world. Where does it say that? Right. Right. So the the world has um, has no power over him, right? It's 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 been crucified. It's, it's dead, right? The world and all of its enticements, you know. And then you go to Philippians, and Paul says, look, everything is lost compared to the surpassing riches of the grace and kindness of God. And so, um, yeah, dead to the world, what else? Dead to death sting. Okay. In other words, we're alive. Yeah. Uh, but not to what was the direction we're that we're following in that sense. Okay. Right. Right. Uh, what about what about this? We're dead to the law. What does that mean? Dead to the law. What is the purpose of the law? The law of God, the moral law, the commandments. What is the purpose of those things? No. That is not what the purpose of the law is. That's what the Jews thought the purpose of the law was. Okay. To condemn us. The law condemns us. And then after it condemns us and we come to Christ, 
God leads us back to the law as a way of life, right? A way of righteous life. But the purpose of the law was to increase sin. It was to reveal sin. It was to condemn sin. And it kills everybody, Jew, Gentile, anybody who strives. The law kills them. Dead. But we're dead to the law. And so what does that mean? This is Romans 7. Okay. Okay. We're declared not guilty. We're justified, right? Um, the law, the law's work was to condemn. And if the law is dead, it no longer condemns, Right? Because we're justified not on the basis of works, but we're justified based upon the faith, our faith in Christ, which is, um, which is, you know, just our classic formulation of justification by faith alone. But look at Romans 7. Romans 7 says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Right? The law was just like producing sin in us. Right? Every time we looked at the law, it pushed us toward disobedience without the Spirit. Right? Um, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Set free from the law, set free from all of that condemnation, set free from the fact that the law says you shall not covet, and you've spent your life coveting. You're set free from that. Don't let the law condemn you if you're in Jesus Christ. Kill the law. The law is meant to kill you, but it's no longer killing you because you are in Christ. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Right? Which is where we go. It's like, if, if that's the law, I mean, maybe the law is just terrible. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would, have, would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of coveting. Right? You hear, do not covet, and the next thing you do is covet. Covet and covet and covet and covet. And the law keeps showing you, you covet, you covet, you covet, you covet, you covet. Everywhere and every day, you shall not, you know, you covet and covet. It produced in the Apostle Paul coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And the law is holy in this sense, in, in the sense that it reveals sin and drives us to Christ. 
But the law is wicked if you treat it as a means of righteousness and salvation. It was never meant to be that. But that's what we all try to make it into, right? We base our justification on whether or not we've sinned recently, don't we? That's to base our justification on the keeping of the law. That's to be a Pharisee. That's to be a Jew. That's not what we are. You're justified by faith in Jesus Christ, despite your keeping of the law or your not keeping of the law. Faith. Faith alone. <laughs> it's good news. That's really good news. All right, so that's the death that we pursue in this life. We die daily. We die to sin. We die to the law. We die in those ways. But I want to conclude the last 15 minutes talking about death. If I as a pastor don't prepare my sheep to actually die, what am I doing here? I mean, it is so frustrating to me that it, it's, it's like how many Reformed churches are so intently focused on this life and never talk about eternal life, never talk about death, never talk about the ultimate crossing over, right? And if I do that, if I'm all caught up in this... this um, the kingdom of the world and not thinking about the kingdom of heaven and whether or not the sheep that I minister to are preparing to die, then what are we doing, you know? What are we doing here? Why am I, why am I expending all this energy? Is it, is it really, and I'm, and I'm not saying, look, yeah, you want 12 steps to a better marriage. So do I. You know, we all need that. We all need exhortations to be faithful, to put to death, to mortify, to mortify the flesh, to do, um, to pursue maturity, to uh, love others, to love our neighbor, you know, to really expend our life for what is good. But you also need to prepare to die and face God in judgment. And maybe all of that pursuit of holiness in life is just a pursuit of being prepared to die and stand before God as your judge. That is what will happen to each one of you. You will take your final breath and instantaneously be judged by God. There will be no holding period. There will be no... Um, purgatory where you can do calisthenics to, to build up your righteousness. You, you, you will die and stand before God and instantaneously hear either well done or depart from me. I never knew you. And if you're not preparing for that, um, if you're not thinking about that, if you're not meditating on that daily, you're not preparing. Yeah, I'm commending thinking about your death every day. It gets easier for me the older I get, I'll tell you that. And that's a blessing of getting older. It's truly a blessing. It's scary too, 
I am afraid to die. I get scared thinking about death. Right? And that's my unbelief at points. But I have to fight my thoughts. I have to go to Scripture and remind myself, no, 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 no. That is not what death is. Death is not just soul sleep and nothingness. It is being, it is living on in one of two places. And everyone who has ever died has experienced this. Every soul from Adam on has experienced that instantaneous judgment after death. And so we need to, I mean, 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die. I mean, do you feel the pain of that verse? Do you feel, the, in, in a sense, the tragedy of that verse? Adam sinned and we all died. And we all will die physically because of that inherited corruption from Adam. And, and you say, well, that's not fair. Well, Adam was our representative. And so, how, however the representative goes is how we vote. We're in league with our representatives. And if Adam isn't our representative, then Jesus isn't either, and it'd be terrible for us. But Jesus is the second Adam, a better representative for his people. Right? But all die in Adam. All die. As a watch when it is wound up, says Baxter, or a candle newly lighted, so man newly conceived or born begins a motion which incessantly hastes to its appointed end. Like a candle lit. It's just burning down. Right? And the winds of God's providence can blow that candle. You know when the, when the candle's not burning straight up and down, it burns fast. Right? And the winds of God's providence can come along and and bring you to your appointed ends, perhaps today even. But it's strange to me how very few times we hear pastors talk about death. It's so crazy. It's, it's everywhere present. It's our worst and last enemy. You know? And pastors are talking about I'm just going to move on. <laughs> Pastors are talking about politics. Barf. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. You're going to die. You are going to die. And there is nothing funny about that. And so if there's anything I want you to learn as your pastor, it's to learn how to die. I want you to learn how to die. And so it's not, it's not going to be long before these words are spoken at your funeral. And they'll be heard by those who live on. You won't hear them. 
But these words will be spoken at your funeral, and it's scripture and it's, it's poetry mixed together. Man that is born of a woman has but a short time and is full, and a short time to live and is full of misery. He comes up and is cut down like a flower. He flees like a shadow and never continues in one place. In the midst of life, we are in death. And of whom may we seek for relief, but of you, O Lord, who for our sins are justly displeased. Yet, O Lord God most holy, O Lord most mighty, O holy and most merciful Savior, deliver us not into the bitter pains of eternal death. You know, O Lord, the secrets of our hearts. Shut not your merciful ears to our prayers, but spare us, Lord most holy. O God most mighty, O holy and merciful Savior, O most worthy judge eternal, suffer us not at our last hour for any pains of death to fall from you. For as much as it hath pleased Almighty God in his infinite wisdom and mercy to take out of this world the soul of our brother or sister departed, we now commit his body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. That's going to be said at your funeral or something along those lines, at your graveside. Don't be cremated. Get put in the ground. It's Christian, okay? Just thought I'd throw that in there. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Be planted in the ground for the resurrection the song of Simeon that we sing on Communion Sundays, we'll sing next week. As I go to my grave, I have no fear of death, for the Lord my God will save and grant eternal rest. I can't sing that without crying every time we do it. Because I'm preaching it to myself, I'm scared to death of death. And yet there I am proclaiming before God, I have no fear of death. As a confession of faith. So have I, as your shepherd, prepared you for death? Have I pointed you to Christ as your only righteousness? Have I pushed you to run the race until the very end? Have I exhorted you to repent of sins that could easily make you make shipwreck of your faith in this life? And so what does it mean to die well? What does it mean to prepare to die? How can we die well? Well, it's trusting in Christ to the very end. It's pursuing him each day of your life, not knowing which day may be your last. It's living as if this is the last in your pursuit of Christ. It is to be killing sin or it will be killing you, right? Those who persevere to the end will be saved. So it's trusting in Christ. It's trusting in him every day, and it's trusting that he's given you the vocation of killing your sin until the very end of your days. Um, people talk about courage in this life, right? The courage of facing down an enemy, the courage of, 
of persevering through pain, the courage of, you know, starting a business, um, just the courage that's required to, to live. But there is no courage like the courage needed to face death. I think. It takes courage. Right? Mary is courageous. Mary Wolf. I envy her courage. Right? She's steady in her old age. Right? She's trusting in Christ. She does not fear death, actually. She doesn't. Um, it's glorious courage. And that's a gift of the Spirit. It's not what she's coked up, coaxed up in herself. God has given her that as a gift. But her mind is being taken off this world, and she isn't afraid. Right? The body decays. The eyes go blind. The ears stop working. And that is a fearful thing. That is a scary thing. And yet she's praying and praying for us and caring for people and going after us and just ready, you know, just like how, she's, she's asking, how long? Lord, take me already. That's glorious courage. There's a Puritan named Andrew Gray, and he uh, wrote about, did some sermons called Concerning Death, and he gives some help for people to prepare for death. I suppose when you woke up this morning, you were, you know, you weren't thinking that the pastor was going to give you lessons to uh, help you prepare to die. But here we are. Here, here are a few of his directions for helping you prepare for death. Uh, first, I entreat you much uh, to be much in preparation for death every day, for it is even a preparation for heaven to be taking a sight of your grave and latter end every day. And so the first thing is just like, think of your grave every day. It's morbid, isn't it? It's scary, isn't it? It takes courage to do that. But, but um, who knows in the next year who, who will be in the grave? I don't know. But think about that. Think about your grave. Second, he says, I entreat you to be much in the following duties. First, self-examination. That your counts may be clear with God. For many a ragged count shall we have when death, uh, when we die and uh, we meet with the Lord. So self-examine. Second, be much in the exercise of repentance so that you may have every fault and corruption and you mourned for before your death and you meet God. <laughs> Repent over your sins now. Thirdly, be much in the exercise of faith, making your calling and elections sure. Right? First Peter. Um, be exercising your faith. Pursue God. Remind yourself of his promises. Memorize his word. Those things that encourage you in the fight of faith. Fourthly, be much in the exercise of mortification. And that will help you to keep a loose grip, 
not only of the world, but also of your idols. And if you be much in these, you shall undoubtedly be prepared for death, right? If you're mortifying the flesh, if you're casting away those idols, those things that vie for your affections. Third, be much in minding the excellent things of heaven. A Christian that would be prepared for death would have all his thoughts and conversation there. I think it would be an excellent help to take a sight of the crown every day. So put your mind on things above and not the things of the earth. Fourth, labor always to keep a good conscience. Avoid the offense of God and man. Labor to keep your conscience clear. And be continue that a clear he says a clear conscience will be a continual feast to you. And then five slights not any known duty, do not crucify any conviction, neither break any resolution. Put these three together, and that will exceedingly help you to prepare for death. Right? So be rigorous. He's just saying be rigorous. Pursue these things. You will make shipwreck of your faith if you're lazy in these things, and you will approach death unprepared. Right? It's amazing how much we distract ourselves from thinking about the final judgment. All of which this is a preparation for. Your life. Okay? And so... So die well, die pursuing God, think daily about the coming death, and let that, let that motivate you to live by faith, to cry out to God that he would supply you with the courage necessary and the faith necessary to approach death. I, I often have the thought these days that if there's one, one thing I want, I, I, I want from the Lord is to be a good example as I die. I don't want to lose my mind to be talking about all the sinful things I've put in my mind. I want to be able to sing the hymns of God and show my children my courage in the face of death. I just long for that. If there's, if there's one thing God would grant me in this life, that's what I would want. It's just to be a good example at that point. Now, he may take me quickly and he may take some of us quickly, and we don't have that opportunity, but some of us may die slowly and, at that, and have many months or years to contemplate our death as we're bedridden. I want to be able to sing praises. I want to be able to say I'm going home. I want to be able to, to uh, quench all my fears just being saturated by faith in Christ. That would be a that would be better than any other work I've done in my life, is to die well. It would be such a gift from the Lord. The Lord, may have, uh, the, the Lord may have other sanctifying work he wants to put me through at those points. But I do ask him that he would grant me and us that sort of um, end, uh, that prelude to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have allowed us by the work, the powerful work of your Son and the indwelling of the Spirit 
to die to sin, to die to the condemnations of the law, and to live to Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to prepare for the judgment which is to come, that we would contemplate our grave, that we would contemplate the end of our days, and that would have good, the good fruit of causing us to walk in fear and to walk in faith. Father, I pray that you would encourage us, give us strength, give us courage. May we end our days with glorious contentment and happiness and your praises on our lips. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.